0: Where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. If you value what we do, we can sure you use your support. You can visit the Donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business, consider becoming a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. And check out Gateway's catering and floral service, that's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. As always, if you are listening or watching this program live on the Fallon Forum Facebook page, you are welcome to join the conversation. Text Kathy at 515 519 6323. That's 515 519 6323. She'll call you back as soon as we have an opening and then we'll bring you into the program. On today's program, climate activist John Davis will be joining us later to talk about the new. NOAA Sea Level Rise Report. Spoiler alert, it's not pretty. Also, Brian Rosenwald, author of Talk Radio's America: How an Industry Took Over a Political Party that Took Over the US. Brian will be joining us. And finally, Kathy Burns and I will discuss starting heirloom vegetable seeds. Yep, it is the season for that. First though, I'd like to welcome uh, Genevieve a Trainer to the uh, program. Uh, Genevieve is the publisher and arts editor with Little Village Magazine. And in an age where local news sources are being bought up or strangled by big corporate media giants, uh, it is encouraging to see enterprising people like Genevieve working to build alternatives. Genevieve, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me. And you're with Little Village Magazine. Yes, here in Iowa City we've been around for about 20 years. Um, we had our 20th anniversary last year, actually, and yes, 20.
0: Okay. And now you're expanding.
1: Yes. Uh, so we started out here in Iowa city, just covering local arts and, and news. And several years later, we started covering, we expanded our coverage area to include Cedar Rapids. And, uh, other spaces in the area. And now we're launching a new print magazine in Des Moines, which will be okay. Little Village Des Moines. It'll be very similar to our Eastern Iowa edition, but it will be locally focused and uh, covering, covering more specifically Des Moines area things. We'll have a Des Moines calendar, all okay. of that. And
0: some people are, are, I mean, look the trend, you look at the Des Moines Register, Uh, The trend is, like a lot of papers, away from print toward digital. And here you are coming in with print. Tell me the logic of that.
1: Well, we have the the luxury of being a a monthly publication. (laughs) I I can understand um, how some dailies are, are finding the need to pull back a bit. Um, but we are, we are monthly, which, which makes a big difference. I think we're, we're a magazine as opposed to a newspaper. So Mm -hmm. we have that longevity. We have, we publish daily on our website where we've got some of the, you know, more immediate goings on, but our print edition has, um, more stuff with a longer shelf life. It has, uh, you know, long form stories about the region It has, uh, profiles of local artists, things like that.
0: Okay, and you started off as an arts publication, like you said, 20 years ago, but you've expanded to covering local news as well. What, what's, uh, what's behind that, uh, that evolution?
1: Well, we've always been community-driven, okay. and we, we cover what our community needs. And uh, although we, for a long time, were primarily arts-focused, uh, news has always sort of been in the mix, which to a certain extent. And as you said, as uh, as dailies are sort of uh, getting hard hit mm-hmm. uh, by various forces, that opens up an an area for us where our readers need another source of news. And we found that was especially true during the early early months of the pandemic, which uh, <laughs> unfortunately and conveniently there was less to cover in the arts sector. Um, but there was definitely a need on the ground from our readers for, for that sort of in-depth and ongoing regular coverage of the the pandemic issues. So they were really appreciative that we were able to dive in and provide that.
0: Yeah. Now, Now, some, some communities have no alternative or independent news sources. Uh, Iowa City has the Little Village magazine has had it for for twenty years. Uh, in Des Moines, we've had through various incarnations a, a, a newspaper, and it is print as well as online, and it's also monthly. It's called City View. Do you see little? How do you see the Little Village magazine uh, interfacing with the with City View? Is this uh, one or the other? One's going to survive, or is there is there room in the market for two independent papers?
1: i think there's room i i am a huge believer in the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats and i find that the more the more we put out into the world the more audiences are going to crave it and want to want to read more of it so it gives opportunities for for more people to sort of fill that role as much as possible it's a it's it's lifting each other up it's not competing.
0: And this is more of a, and again, this this program goes far beyond Des Moines, but the, the issue of independent news sources is relevant everywhere. But this question is specific to Des Moines. How will the Little Village Magazine distinguish itself from City View? What will be different about it? What will what will cause people to want to, they, they've got capacity to take one newspaper with them when they leave the grocery store. They're going to pick up City View or Little Village Magazine. What's going to make them want to pick up Little Village Magazine?
1: Well, I am a. I love our print process, and I will shout to the rafters that our graphic designer and uh, art director Jordan Seligrim is the best that there is. And I think just on, just on a walking through the line and looking at two magazines on the shelf and wanting to pick up one of them, I, I think Jordan's covers are going to take it every time. <laughs> and,
0: what, and what about content? Because that's one thing that's been missing. I mean. City View again in one of its previous manifestations was really hard-hitting. It was doing journalism, cutting-edge journalism, uh, investigative stuff that the Des Moines Register and the TV, the, the major TV stations weren't even touching. It was breaking stories. Do we can we maybe expect some of that to, from Little Village Magazine as well?
1: We don't do as much breaking news just because we uh, we primarily. We don't have the same sort of resources as some other news outlets do. But we do, in our drive to reflect the communities that we're part of, it's our hope and our goal that community members will come to trust us and will bring those stories to us when they have them Mm -hmm. and will come to us as their first destination if they see something wrong in the community around them that they know needs to be addressed, or if they see something right that they know needs to be lifted up. We hope to be that first stop
0: for them. Yeah. So, I mean, and I I like having this conversation in the broader context of the national media scene. And later in the program, again, uh, Brian Rosenwald, uh, author of uh, Talk Radios America, joining us to talk about that big picture, but I think it's important to ask as your 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 impression too as a local person working on independent media. What is your impression of the current national media scene, where we've got this tremendous con- consolidation within the mainstream media, and then this polarization between the mainstream media like CNN, MSNBC, NBC on one side, and then the extreme views. Well, actually, Fox isn't even extreme anymore compared to one American news network or Newsmax <laughs> or some of the talk radio uh, talking heads. What's your impression of that whole situation, both the consolidation and the polarization?
1: I think that it's really easy with as many sources of information as are out there now, and as many 24-hour news stations on TV, there's this tendency to put information, to, to bombard people with information overload. and. And what's missing in a lot of cases is that sense of discernment, is that awareness that information and news aren't the same thing, and that there is an onus on reporters and on people who work in the news industry to to refine things for, for readers and to help them sort that information. And I think that... A lot of polarization can come from when you're bombarded with information. The stuff that's gonna get through is the stuff that already makes sense.
2: You much, know, if
1: you've just got a, a rush of things coming at you, you take in what you want to hear. Right.
0: Yeah, I and mean, you can you can only hear what you want to hear anymore, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or or uh, or. Just the mainstream media. You just you can you can go to the station; it's going to tell you what you want to know, what you want to hear. And
2: right, and that's,
0: and that's part of the problem, isn't it?
1: Right, but the wonderful thing about community news is that we're we're all in community together, and if you want to know what's going on in your town, in your region, in your in your neighborhood, then you need to go to those community news sources because the the, the big guys don't have time for it, right. and and that's where you find those challenges mm-hmm. to the assumptions and to the polarization, which right. is people people are using Little Village, for example, as a news source. People, we know that we have readers who who don't necessarily agree with everything that we publish, and they will challenge us on it. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. i I love reaching readers with the with the things they want to hear every time. it's It's always great to get positive feedback on the story but it's even better to get yeah. the pushback that and to know that people yeah. like you and trust you enough.
0: And that, that describes my talk show as well, by the way. <laughs> so, how, good, how, good, How much of that, beyond that, beyond people wanting to gravitate to what they want to hear, what they want to see, how much of the consolidation is in, involves just a, a, a system, an economic system in this country without a, a strong, uh, uh, Set of antitrust laws that allows a few big companies to buy out more and more media. I mean, look at how many newspapers in Iowa alone are owned by Gannett. Look at how many radio stations are owned by Clear Channel, iHeart. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's um, it, there's there's so little room for independence and uh, and um, critical analysis in some of these universes. It's really, you know, it, it's it's I think why we don't have. Coverage, for example, I, I'm going to say that I think it's why we don't have coverage of the climate crisis. We're going to talk about that later in this program as well. But, um, you know, I mean, because there's a lot When you've got corporate domination of any, of any type of media, you've got big money involved in advertising. And the natural inclination of an editor, publisher, uh, the board of directors, stockholders, is going to be not, not to anger those big uh, financial resources. And mm-hmm. that's something I think, I hope, I, I believe that Little Village Magazine and other independent news sources that are locally focused can probably avoid and be more independent, more more, more able to speak out.
1: I think that's true. And part of that is that as we focus on building community, which I, I see is, as my main mission as, as publisher is building community, we're not just talking about... Uh, readers. We're also talking about small business owners. I mean, all all of our advertisers are also readers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're they're people who know us and like us and trust us and know that we share their values. And we work really hard to to create a a structure for for our advertising that allows small businesses to advertise with us. And obviously, you know, we're we're not a nonprofit. We we need right. to make money, yeah. but but it's really important to us that a lot of our ads and those one-twelfth page biz card size ads <laughs> that, that mean that a small business that can't, you know, yeah. buy a share of Gannett <laughs> can, yeah. can still yeah. get their yeah. name yeah. I, out there. I, 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 <laughs> I totally
0: get that. And that's, that's what we do as well, but we have very strict standards. It's gotta be locally owned business, uh, somebody doing good work. Um, you know you know if you're if you're building bombs sorry we're probably not going to advertise your product uh, <laughs> well let me ask you one I mean there's one we don't have, we don't have too much time left but I want to ask you one question about a news story here in Des Moines that I has I, not gotten much attention um, uh, last fall the uh, well a year ago last fall the Des Moines City Council agreed to establish a food security task force and this went on with some great momentum establishing a really great website and then there was so much more, there was all this agreement to continue to move forward and the whole thing has been dropped. And I think your great question is why is the city dragging its heels on something that as important as developing local food sustainability? Is that the kind of story that you might you know, want to jump on?
1: Absolutely. As, as soon as I hang up, I will be slapping our Des <laughs> Moines <Du> reporters <laughs> to look right. into it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to get more information about Little Village Magazine, where do they go, Genevieve?
1: Littlevillagemag.com, little or they can find us on uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Facebook and Instagram, we have both uh, Little Village Mag and Little Village Mag DSM. Uh, Twitter, it's just the one account. But um, yeah, little uh, little join us on socials and follow us.
0: Littlevillagemag.com. Genevieve, thank you so much for joining us, uh, folks. We've been talking with uh, Genevieve Trainer. She's the publisher and arts editor for Little Village Magazine. Uh, this is Ed Fallon. We've got to take a short break, and we'll be back with more conversation when Brian Rosenwald, author of Talk Radio America, joins us. Gateway and Cafe is Des Moines' locally-owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community.
2: You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com.
0: If you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We will call you on a different line and bring you into the conversation. Thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations, owner Mark Lipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Thanks also to Groovy Goods, that's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. So uh, you know, a question that is always on my mind is whether or not commercial radio is a lost cause. It's uh, when you listen, when you when you, when you when you when you when you when you surf the dial, and you come to the clearest stations, the stations that are most easily understood, uh, that are you know get the best the, the best reception, um, and the uh, probably the, uh, the, the the classiest uh, entry points, exit points, high-powered ads, uh, you know yeah, those tend to be stations owned by a very very few companies two, three, four companies I believe, uh, and they tend to have the same message. And I, I can you know, speak from experience on this because I used to be on the radio, uh, on a big station. I've been on two stations actually, and uh, the last one was a very small station owned by a Latino uh, company. Uh, but the first one was a big station owned by Cumulus, I believe, and uh, or Citadel, uh, bought by Cumulus. I get those mixed up. They the big corporate conglomerates all kind of blur in my mind. But at any rate, uh, there were uh, you know this is balance. Out of twenty four hours of talk radio, there were four hours a day that were not far right. That's balance right there. (laughs) Twenty hours of right wing talk, four hours of more progressive talk. And uh, as bad as that sounds, it has gotten so much worse. And uh, and right now, the consolidation is almost uh, unfathomable. Uh, I'd like to bring onto the program uh, Brian Rosenwald. He's the author of Talk Radio's America, How an Industry Took Over a Political Party That Took Over the U.S. We've had him on before. Uh, his um, message is as important as any that I can think of. And I want to get Brian's take on, media, on the media coverage of the, of the climate crisis. But first, uh, Brian, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Ed, always great to be with you. Yeah, thank you.
0: And, and for, you know, for, again, for those who aren't familiar with your work, uh, tell us a little bit about your book, Talk Radio's America.
3: Well, it, it takes the reader through the history of talk radio um, a little bit before 1988, but it really starts with Rush Limbaugh going national August 1st of 1988 and totally remaking the world of, of AM radio and, and of talk radio and what it sounded like and creating slowly over the course of a decade, you get a lot of dominoes that fall um, that create the predominantly conservative AM talk radio world that we have today and then spills over into cable news and onto the internet and you get the kind of combative political warfare conservatism um, that that shapes not only the airwaves today, but also the Republican Party and, and fosters gridlock and polarization and makes it hard to govern.
0: And would you say it's gotten worse since 1988 or well even since 1998 or even since 2008 that we have what we're seeing now dished up on talk radio and on the the uh the visual affiliates or uh, you know the, the stations that offer the same kind of talk uh it has gotten worse
3: i think it absolutely has over the last decades in two separate ways one there's more and more competition and the listener pool's not really growing. So that that pushes hosts to distinguish themselves in some way, whether that's by being more outrageous, whether that's by giving the audience even more of what they want, um, whether that's conspiracy theories, whether that's you know off the wall stuff. And, and it also leads to kind of harder edge content. And I also think it's gotten worse because you you've seen this spill over increasingly into Republican politics, where even you know traditional conservatives, are no longer good enough for the, these hosts be, and their audiences. And the politicians have to pay attention to them because of fears of primary elections that are exaggerated you know, in importance because of uh, geographic polarization. And so I think it's, made, it's had an even more corrosive impact on um, the political world. And I, I, you, know, you also factor in that as the Internet has risen, you go from having people who might have listened to a conservative talk radio show but read a regular newspaper mm. to people who are going down the internet rabbit hole and mm-hmm. consuming conservative media and they're not getting any counterbalance in their media oh, diet. Right.
0: So uh, and maybe, uh, I don't know whether you were able to listen to the uh, first uh, segment of this program, but uh, Genevieve Trainer, a uh, local, uh, local publisher, uh, arts editor here in the, in Iowa, uh, is helping to launch a new in- independent uh, effort called uh, Little Village Magazine. And, uh, I, I got, I got two questions about it for you. First of all, How important is it that local
3: communities try to launch independent sources of information? Well, I think local media is our best way out of it, um, out of the sort of box that we're in. Realistically speaking, I don't think you're gonna um, convince conservative media consumers that the mainstream media is anything other than a biased democratic puppet. And I don't think that you're going to undo some of the monetary pressures and incentives on national broadcasters, cable news, um, and otherwise. And so I think that, that local news could be a refuge if it's adequately monetized and funded. Um, I think that local news could be a refuge because people don't see local news as partisan um, to the same extent that they do national news. And I think that if you get local broadcast to focus on everything from city hall to the state house to national politics and government and provides you know meaty coverage of things it may de-polarize um, us a little bit it may at least get us back to a point where we can have a common set of facts and disagree over policy but at least we can talk the same language and have conversations with one another and i think you're
0: exactly right and i think it's a it's a huge challenge it has to be done uh, intelligently and monetized and uh and be, be good content and be you know made, in a, it made presented in a way that's available and accessible to people. And it, it seems to me that uh, right now the big corporate uh, owners of media, whether they be the mainstream media on the what's often described as the left, although I'm not sure that's accurate, um, or talk radio, commercial radio, Fox News, OAN, it, it seems like they're all not, they're not really worried about none of them are worried about independent media because it's still a small deal like organic farming years ago You know corporate AG uh, the, the food industrial complex never were worried about organics until it started getting a bigger share of the market and, I, I'm, and it seems like we're at the point right now where Independent media is not really bothering the
3: big corporate entities, but at some point that could change. Yes, I mean, we we can hope. I I certainly think it's not impossible, but I think that the key is you're going to need either companies or wealthy individuals to invest in these things. You know, I don't want to undersell how hard, you know, how tall the mountain is that needs to be climbed because to do journalism well, you need resources. You know, that's the bottom line. And the only way that these, that, you know, local media can provide sufficient coverage And rigorous enough coverage is to, you know, stop having corners cut, stop having big, massive conglomerates own hundreds of stations um, and and get back to having people who see this as a community resource, who see this as a community hub, who see this as something where they're investing in their communities. Um, And and I think if that happens in places that have it, you have stations that people trust um, and and that, that have a community impact. You know, it's not a silver bullet solution, but it's something that at least might offer up a kind of neutral base of facts that were at least what the presentation is an attempt mm-hmm. to provide serious coverage that uh, on issues that people want to hear about and need to hear about.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, do, I have found that uh, I mean, the, the first part of last year, the first three months of last year, I interviewed uh, a, an Iowa Trump voter every week. That was the main feature of my program. And it, there were some who said, "Don't bother giving those people any time at all," uh, you know. Uh, but I, you know, most of the people who responded were thought it was you know, were very favorable about it. That yeah, it um, it gave uh, it gave a chance for dialogue. It gave a chance to identify common ground. And again, that's maybe one of the benefits of uh, of independent local media. I, I want to ask you one more question before we got uh, we got to run on, uh, uh, Brian. What's your take of the mainstream media's coverage or lack of coverage about the climate crisis?
3: Well, I I think it's a very hard issue to cover um, in short sound bites. It's fairly complex, and it's something where it doesn't feel like it's immediately impacting most people's lives. Um, We, of course, know that it is on some level, but that those effects are kind of shrouded. Um, people can't connect them directly, and it's something that has been a partisan thicket, and so I think it's very hard, you know, the, these companies want to give the audience what they want, what they think they need, and the audience, they, they see polls and things that show that the audience doesn't really care about that issue, and because it's not something that is at the front page uh, or, or the, the front burner of, of sort of politics at every minute, it gets less coverage, and of course the, the media has this incentive to focus um, on the horse race and to treat politics like sports, and it does just doesn't make for all that exciting right, uh, of right. coverage. And, and complex policy is the area where I think that the mainstream media struggles the most. Now, I will say, print media covers the climate crisis, you know, fairly well, but I, I don't think that translates over to broadcast. Yeah. And I think that it's one reason that this isn't a bigger issue, you know, front burner. If they covered it the way they cover inflation, for example. <laughs> Um, right, more yeah. people might see this as a crisis well, that we need to act on now. Well, Brian, right. I
0: mean, I, I, I agree that the, the print media covers it better than, than telev- television or radio, but that's not saying a lot. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it's, it's true. Part of, the, part of the problem, a big part of the problem, perhaps the biggest part of the problem, in my opinion, is the fact that you've got a lot of money in advertising that comes from the oil industry and related industries that don't want change, that don't want to see a conversation about the climate crisis.
3: Sure. I mean, it's certainly a factor with some media, you know, every outlet's slightly different. But I think that the biggest thing that drives this is what the perception of what audience demand is, um, as well as the fact that, remember, that cable news especially um, is six minute segments, seven minute segments. And the climate crisis doesn't lend itself well to that. It's just not, you know, policy in general doesn't lend itself well to that. Policy requires nuance and depth and detail. And our media is not set up to handle that kind of thing. Um, You know, could print coverage be more substantial? Yes. But again, print journalism needs to have resources that, you know, how many decades have we been cutting back newsrooms? Um, Where there's not an environmental reporter at every paper uh you know and there's not someone at local papers who can say okay this is the local impact because that's where i think you can personalize it for people mm, yeah. but it, and this is not a fault i'm not faulting the journalists they're not enough of them So yeah, you know, it's I it's agree. that simple
0: yeah well uh yeah we'll see i i i, I will, i'll be a happy camper if someday soon hopefully the news media cover climate uh, as they've covered COVID. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
3: every day, exactly. top story, yes.
0: Uh, Brian, thank you uh, so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Ed. Folks, we've been talking with Brian Rosenwald. He's the uh, author of Talk Radio's America. And we're gonna be talking more about this in the context of my next conversation, the report out by NOAA, N-O-A-A, about sea level rise. It's pretty disturbing and again getting short shrift in terms of media coverage we'll talk about that we've got to take a short break and uh, we will be right back with more conversation groovy goods is your des
4: moines one-stop hippie shop located near drake university we are more than just a store groovy goods is about community we're a tribe brought together by peace love and rock and
0: roll You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. back to the Fallon Forum. If you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We'll call you on a different line and then bring you into the conversation. You can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or business sponsor. Uh, Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Uh, thanks to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village, Dr. Joel Westham and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. We're going to go to John Davis here shortly. He's been a climate activist for over 25 years. He's a climate reality mentor and he attended the 2015 COP21 Climate Summit. John, welcome to the program. Hello. We've been talking about the media, about independent media, about, uh, we've been talking with Brian Rosenwald, about uh, uh, the lack of climate coverage by the mainstream media. And uh, we have a new example. (laughs) NOAA, the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, is just releasing a report indicating that um, US coasts will see another 10 to 12 inches of sea level rise by 2050. And uh, the um, chief, uh, the, the, the head of NOAA, uh, Rick uh, Spinrad, says, and I quote, This report is a wake-up call for the U.S., but it's a wake-up call with a silver lining. It provides us with information needed to, ne- to act now to best position ourselves for the future. Okay, especially with the words act now in there, you would think the media would be picking in this up. I mean, a foot of sea level rise within the next 29 years. Why
5: are they not paying attention, John? Help us out. <laughs> well, uh, for one, the report just came out last week. Okay. And it takes them about a week to go through to actually process what's on the report and make a report on it. Okay. The, the ABC, CBS, all those uh, won't report a thing. Now, CNN will. Uh, they have been covering uh, the reactions to climate change, but they're not reporting at all on why.
0: So what, why, why, and, see, why would CNN report on, on, on what Noah has issued and not some of the other major affiliates? Uh, I believe
5: two days ago, uh, uh, I, I have a friend that uh, does climate for CNN. Uh, he had an article but it was not posted anywhere, it's up to uh, private people. Uh, it's The point is, is that most Americans uh, are either uh, too afraid and they don't want to see it, or they're totally indifferent to it. And most of the news stations, including CNN, uh, receive uh, funding through uh,
0: commercials to
5: uh, the people who are causing the uh, climate change in the first place.
0: Right, That's, that was my point earlier too, but... How do you how do you get beyond that? How do you how do you get the media to take climate change as seriously as it has taken? I mean, look at the attention paid to COVID-19. Two years worth of intense daily top of the fold coverage. And this is something that's so much more serious. I mean, 10 feet or or sorry, 10 to 12 inches of sea level rise. And you're looking at um, what a big, a big chunk of the of the world. Underwater, so many populations are concentrated in low-lying coastal areas. This is a huge, you know, red flag. And yet, yeah,
5: 40 percent of the uh, of the world uh, lives within five miles of, of a coast. Hmm. And so you're looking at major impacts. Uh, at the same time, you're looking at the loss of major economic disasters. And as you see in the report, it's not uh, at if. And or maybe it's, hey, folks, wake up. Yeah. This is going to happen, and we cannot change it. So, and uh, people don't want to hear this.
0: So, John, my, my, uh, my, my criticism of climate scientists all along, and I've been, I've been working on this since 2007, you know, pretty much full time. My, my criticism is that climate scientists are right on every detail except one, and that's the timeline. Everything is moving faster than they say it will and my suspicion is that this projection of sea level rise of a foot by 2050 is way off That it's going to be a lot sooner than that especially if the if the thwaites glacier in the antarctic melts as quickly as some now fear that it will so well uh as you know i work uh,
5: with the philippine government on their climate change uh sea level rise is, is already starting uh in miami at high tide, uh, uh, every day, twice a day, uh, you have between six to twelve inches of flooded streets of Miami. And that's in Miami. In the Philippines, water. you have islands that, uh, at high tide, are three feet under water.
0: And those used to be above water at high tide, I presume.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And this is just with since I, I, I've been working with the Philippines since 2016, and this has only been happening in the last two years.
0: So let's pretend, what, what happens when 40% of the U.S. population finds that, uh, that their, their homes, their businesses, their, the, the, their, their harbors, uh, whatever else is important in your life is suddenly, um, suddenly, maybe not suddenly, but gradually submerged in the ocean. Um, what happens, where do those people go, what is the overall, I mean it, it isn't just a matter of them migrating too. There's, like you said, the economic impact. Uh, it's huge. the whole The whole thing is a huge. Um, and it involves an incredible shift that I don't see how we manage without without being prepared. That's a
5: very good question, and, and the uh, I do not have an answer to that. Uh, the The uh, state governors should be working on this right now, mm-hmm. but I have not read anything from any of the uh, states uh, addressing uh, the sea level rise, and that includes uh, Jay Inslee, who's a great climate scientist himself
0: yeah,
5: up uh, in Washington. Washington. Yeah, right. yeah, so uh, no, one's, no one's reporting on it.
0: So even No here, one's
5: doing anything.
0: Now, Inslee is kind of known as the climate governor, and he's not talking about it either? Nope. Okay. Because you've got, I mean, Washington is a coastal state, part of it. (laughs) And I imagine you've got areas of Washington, maybe Seattle, that are going to be impacted.
5: Well, there are some charts uh, on on the uh, NOAA report that I gave you. And if you take a look, uh, it shows in 30 years uh, the whole East Coast, West Coast, and all the Gulf states are all blue that's all underwater and we're talking between four inches to 18 inches and depending many, on many, the area how many, how many and it's it's going to destroy uh, it's going to destroy those those uh, those states because the economic collapse of, of those states is going to be inevitable and uh, I don't see anybody doing anything about it
0: Uh, And and again, I guess the question is, why and how? I mean, how how do we get them to start doing something about
5: it, you know? Well, you can start by uh, contacting the uh, governors of every one of those states uh, and ask them what they're going to be doing. And if they have the report, in fact, I think that is a project I'm going to be doing next week, is I'm going to be sending emails and attaching that report to all the governors of all the states that are going to be affected, and ask them, "What are you going to be doing about this?"
0: Yeah, and uh, I'd like to hear what what kind of response you get. That would be interesting to to share.
5: I'll be happy to share that with you. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, I, and I, part of what uh, part of what disturbs me, John, is that uh, we have this information, and again, the average person is a is probably pretty busy, overwhelmed. Again. As, as we discussed earlier with my, my previous guests, uh, a lot of the information that people are getting is not, I mean, most people, I've, I'm guessing the vast majority of Americans have no idea that NOAA is, in, is, is releasing a report on sea level rise. Even people living in the no. areas that are affected, they have no idea. And again, I, I hold the media largely responsible for that, but I also, yeah, I'm also people need to take the effort to try to understand what's going on. I mean this is a this is a this is a major impact already underway with so many more impacts coming at us nothing will not everything will be affected by this nothing will be yes
5: there's there's no way to change it and uh, if we continue dumping carbon into the air if we get to the 1.5 degrees centigrade level above mm-hmm. pre-industrial that number is going to go from what's in the report it's going to go up another one and a half feet yeah overall yeah if it gets up to three degrees it's going to go up 21 feet
0: yeah well
5: <laughs> uh,
0: at some point
5: and, and, and don't wait for the glacier day. because the glacier is going to have another two feet yeah
0: well and the glacier that the, 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 every indication is that the weights is melting because of the water the warm water getting in under the glacier and from the side as well. So, anyway, I mean, all we can do, John, is say, "Hey, folks, wake up, pay attention. There's something important happening, and you're going to miss it. And if it misses, if you miss it, um, uh, we all—it's to, the, to the, the detriment of all of us." So, John, That's uh,
5: absolutely correct. Really
0: appreciate you taking the time to join us, John. Uh huh. You yeah, have a good day, Ed. You too, folks. We've been talking with John Davis. Uh, he's a, a longtime climate analyst, a climate reality mentor. Uh, attended the 2015 CO COP21 climate summit and also works with the Philippine government on climate issues. If you'd like to weigh in on the conversation, we got a little bit of time left, uh, 515. sorry, text your name to 515 519 6323. That's 515 519 6323. If you are watching or listening to this program on Facebook. Uh, you know, I, I Here's my biggest frustration, is even the people who get this, who understand what's happening with sea level rise and all the other warning signs of climate change, even the people who get it. Joe Biden gets it. He told me several times that he gets it. <laughs> I actually believe he gets it. So why does he continue to make the wrong choice? Uh, again, some of the things that Biden has done have been favorable in terms of trying to address the climate crisis, but then you've got... You've got, you know, you've got, Why well, why would he not shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline, for example, as he basically promised to do? Why would he continue to allow uh, certain drilling projects to go forward? Why, you know, these things, not only are they, not only do they make no sense in terms of, of, uh, of what President Biden absolutely must know about climate change, but they make no sense in terms of his commitment to quote his word. I mean, he, he go go check out the bold Iowa website. There's lots of information on there, lots of conversations that climate bird dogs had, you know, all across the uh, all across Iowa, leading up to the uh, Iowa caucuses, and and several several conversations with Biden. I give you my word, he says. I gave you my word, my word as a Biden. I like that, my word as a Biden. Well, it ain't happening. And I understand all the political pressures. You know, you've got. You've got to try to balance things and make sure that you don't uh, you don't lose support. And I know we've got I know the U.S. Senate is dealing with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, you know, two Democrats who seem to be very content to let climate change continue unabated. But uh, <laughs> you know, there are still things that could be done. And I know, in addition to all that, you've got uh, you know he's, he's dealing with the Ukraine and whatnot. But the uh, the bottom line is there are people who get what's going on. And yet they refuse to take action. Hey, I'm going to go to our phone lines for one last call. This is uh, Frank from Des Moines. Hello, Frank. How
4: are you? Uh, Good, Ed. How are you? I'm dang good. Well, I think I got my phone issues worked out this week. It's going through the computer, so I think we got a good connection. I'm happy for us both. So I've been doing my show here and I've been trying to periodically listen to you. I don't know everything you're talking about, but, uh, I don't know everything I'm
0: talking
5: about either. Frank.
4: <laughs> I've heard that. Uh, well, you know, and I'm all for citizen journalism. I, I think the more people in the loop, the better. Okay. And you know, whether you think anything good or bad of, uh, Bill O'Reilly, Ted Koppel was on his show one night and basically told Bill O'Reilly point blank to his face that it was Bill O'Reilly who had ruined journalism, who had destroyed journalism. And I just uh, and I used to listen to Ted Koppel, you know, I, I liked Ted Koppel back in the day, but just how pompous and arrogant because someone else is in the club. We used to all get our news from Walter Cronkite. Right and David Huntley and Brinkley and all these guys, and they don't want to let nobody in the club. So, you know, if if, if I'm out here and there's a tornado and I got my cell phone and I take a picture of it, I bounce that video down to KCCI news, I'm a journalist. I done sent them something that they don't have. They they can have that on their news that night. But they won't put you on their payroll. No, well, that's true. yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll probably triple my salary to nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so your, your point is that it's good that there are more and more people involved in trying to, uh, trying to report on things that are happening, offering their opinion. What about, what about somebody who has an opinion that's so poorly formed that, uh, it really shouldn't be taken seriously by anybody.
4: Well, let the let the free market deal with that. I mean, if somebody don't like Joe Rogan, then you know Joe. I mean, as long as Joe Rogan's people is paying and they're subscribing to what Joe Rogan is saying, and it's like Bill Maher said, Joe Rogan can be reasoned with. We shouldn't shut somebody down. See, Ed, I'm I'm against corporate media on all sides, well, right, me and left. Me too, Frank. Gosh, I
0: knew we'd find common ground
4: before the end of this conversation. Well, yes, I, and, and Ed, believe it or not, you once said we're uh, brothers of different mothers. <laughs> <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you said that a long time ago. I did, yes. But, but uh, you know, I'm I'm a guy that uh, I think the more people, the better. I, 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 I just get this pompous, so, arrogant <clears throat> notion that some people think so that only the professionals so should, should we, can deliver should, journalism. Shouldn't we try to push for...
0: Uh, stronger antitrust laws, and start by breaking up the big media corporations. Start by preventing iHeart from owning so many stations in in any any given market that they they choke out their, their, the competition. Is, isn't that, wouldn't that be a great place to start?
4: Yes, and I agree. And I know you don't care for Donald Trump, but when Donald Trump was coming up against the CNN. Uh, ATT and merger. He, Donald Trump's a true capitalist, and he was, you know, I, I mean, people might have thought it was some revenge tactic that he was going after CNN, but I think CNN should have to stand on their own two feet. I think the media ought to dictate uh, who uh, goes, who who stays afloat and who goes under, and, do, but do. and I think that... I, Okay. I think this idea of, of Disney and some of these uh, corporations buying up news organizations and buying up this and buying up that, I don't think that's a good thing for the media. Okay, so good. We agree.
0: Better antitrust laws. Let's start, let's start with the media.
4: Well, absolutely. Let's have some better antitrust laws. Frank, I
0: really appreciate you taking the time to join us, as always. Um, you know, this program just isn't complete without one conservative caller. But you know what the funny thing is? We find areas of agreement, and I wish that would happen more often in our polarized political universe. Don't you, Frank?
4: Yes, I do. I, I, I really do, brother. I, uh, I, I like to find avenues of agreement with everybody, including, uh, including you, Jim, my uh, brother from another mother. Given that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to my birthday party. Stay tuned.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Frank, thanks for joining us. All right, Ed. Thanks, Thank thanks, Dave McCall. I'll right. talk to you later. All right.
0: Folks, this is Ed Fallon, and thank you for joining us today. If you're listening on Facebook, uh, this is the end of the program, but if you're listening on our radio stations or to our podcast, when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns will join us. We'll be talking during our farm and food segment about tips on getting seeds started. It is the season. Vegetables are ready to go. Um, They will be ready to go soon, and we need to get a jump on that to make it happen. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high performance, low maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet and he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the right wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor. Or if you own a small business or work with a nonprofit doing good work, become a sponsor of this program. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County, Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just stop by the clinic on Highway 30 between Nevada and Ames. Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm joins me and we are talking this week about the intelligent alternative to Bitcoin, as I like to call it, (laughs) heirloom seeds. Now, specifically, planting heirloom seeds. And I know some of you in our listening audience, Louisiana, New Mexico, you're on a different growing schedule than we are in the upper Midwest. But if you're listening... On our affiliates in Iowa, Missouri, Ohio, Idaho, this one's for you. Kathy, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Aren't Iowa, Ohio, and Idaho the same thing?
0: That's right. We're all about potatoes, corn, and uh, anyway, (laughs) to the people on the coast, no, we're not the same thing.
2: (laughs) But I do have a funny t-shirt that makes it look like that. That's true. Didn't we just do this topic last year? Why are we doing it again?
0: seedlings because it's so important yeah we, we you got it we got to think about it every year
2: well it's it's true it's important and it's what a lot of people always want to know about this time of year so we grow half of the food that we eat here at, in our yard and a couple of other neighbor's yards here at birds and bees urban farm um, not everybody's going to do that but more and more people are learning to grow their own food and some of them like to do it like we do Start from scratch by planting your own seeds that you saved the previous year from your crop as much as you can in soil that you choose and uh, and having some beautiful seedlings to plant when the weather's warm.
0: Or if you didn't save seeds, you can always buy them from a place like Seed Savers or, uh, or Baker Creek. There's a whole bunch of uh, great companies out mm-hmm. there selling heirloom seeds as well. So.
2: But put your orders in now because... <laughs> yeah. They are running out of varieties already. Yeah. We we reported on that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some of the varieties are getting slim. Um, yeah, we uh, have planted quite a few, and the time to start seedlings is now, if not yesterday, for <laughs> a lot of the seeds. Not for all of them. Um, we've already planted some. We've got some of the very early ones in artichokes. Not everybody's going to do that either. We're some of the only ones, but. We don't, we won't go into the whole shebang about right. that.
0: Starting in November for those. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, onions and leeks are in their little seed cells in the basement they under grow lights. They look
0: pretty good actually. We, we, and you know, I, you know, some people like to wait till later to plant, but we, we believe in planting early and often. Mm-hmm. And the often part comes in when you have a, a, a when you sow a, a seed that doesn't germinate. Like, was it last year that we had all, none of our celios germinated,
2: and the garden and, sunshine as well we right and we, and we
0: realized we realized we had a bad seed crop and so the best way to recover from that is if you plant it early enough you can just replant
2: well and another thing that we do is we don't just save seeds from a previous year we save them three years back after that we don't really need to save them but uh, that way if your last year's seeds failed go to the previous year ones that you know worked and, uh, and plant those again as long as they haven't expired you can check um, seed expirations on the Seed Savers um, resources guides.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, you know, it's not—it's not just a matter. I—I <laughs> I still like to tease Michael Bloomberg for saying, "Farming is not that big a deal. You just stick a seed in the ground, water it, and corn comes up." That makes my blood boil. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it means even starting seeds indoors, you've got to know a few things, and one thing we. Well, there's not too many things we have to buy, but one we, one thing we do buy is seed starter mix.
2: We do, because we haven't, I don't know, we haven't cracked that nut yet no, on how to make it out. ourselves. Yeah. And I think you just have to buy other ingredients to mix with your compost or whatever, your yeah. vermiculite and some stuff. But I think that's a goal for us.
0: Yeah, but, you know, it's a, it's fairly inexpensive um, investment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, it really helps, make, it prevents those plants from suffering from what's called damping off, and uh, you have to. Well, one thing we have to do is uh, make sure the lights are good. You, you want strong lights, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know sometimes it, sometimes even if your bulb hasn't burned out, you're going to want to replace that bulb. But the uh, I mean, it's so besides the wonderful the wonderful feeling about going into your basement or wherever you have them growing and just seeing these beautiful little plants greening up your life. While everything outside is still cold and mm-hmm. and snowy, <laughs> that's a real joy. A real joy.
2: It really is. And we another reason we we plant our own seeds here at home as much as we can is that we can control the type of soil we right. grow them in. We can control the the the. Um, we reuse all of the seed cells or the seed starting cells that we grow them in. We know we're not wasting. Um, we're not buying something and throwing it away the next year.
0: And we and again, I, I, really, I, mean, I was kind of joking earlier about Bitcoin out, seed coin in. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of seed being currency. And because seed is so valuable, uh, we only plant one seed per cell. Mm-hmm. And if we get you know, eighty percent, ninety percent germination rate, that's good enough. If it's lower, we'll replant.
2: And that's another good reason to start early. Yes. So that your second planting can have a good shot once you are able to transplant and put them outside. Well so we already have onions and leeks. Uh, when did we plant those? Uh mid January. You can still plant them if you're doing them from seed uh, onion January, especially. Yeah. You can still plant them now. Yeah. They just won't be as big. They're kind of delicate when you put them in. They 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 They're hard to see, but you can plant them like that. And now we are also planting peppers and eggplant. In fact, we had little Quincy, who's three here, (laughs) uh, two days ago, and he helped plant one whole tray, 48 uh, golden treasure pepper seeds, and he's going to watch those grow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then next up is uh, cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, that sort of thing.
2: And we'll do that in a couple of days. And by the way, if you're listening to the show um, without knowing what date it is, well, this, <laughs> this is late February. Yeah. And I thought, Ed, we might try planting the celery a little earlier than we did last year as well. It, it just seemed, was am I correct, that it yeah. was small it, when we it put takes it in? Is,
0: it, takes, it takes a while to get going, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last things we'll plant, of course, is tomatoes because they once they take off, they just once they sprout, they just take off
2: and they get, they get too big, too leggy, they get their blossoms before, if you plant them too early, and then you've got you, you've got a lot of plant there taking up space yeah. <laughs> in your growing space, and also just kind of aching to get in the ground. Mm-hmm. You can transplant into bigger pots, and and that involves more more of your potting soil, and yeah. um, it's just really best. Um, when did we plant them last year? I can't remember now. It worked out really
0: well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, and, and seeds, when you buy seeds, they aren't cheap. You can spend like three and three, what was it three twenty-five for uh, for twenty-five seeds in some cases. 50 seeds in a it depends, packet it depends, of seeds. It depends yep. on the type of seed but sometimes it's 100
2: seeds sometimes it's 25 yeah seeds, it's, depending it's on on not thing.
0: it's not cheap and so it's one one thing to think about is preparing you're planning to save seed this year for next mm-hmm. year and again you can do varieties that are so cool that you cannot get at a nursery
2: oh yeah, I, really I know cool varieties yeah um <laughs> it's fun just to look at seed catalogs yeah
0: Hey, thanks, uh, Kathy, for joining us. Uh, folks, go out and plant a garden, start to indoors, and you'll be ready to knock it out of the park once the uh, warm weather is here and the frost date is behind us. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Genevieve Trainer, Brian Rosenwald, and John Davis. Also, thanks to our caller, Frank from Des Moines, the notorious and wonderfully charming. Also, to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Determan, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Remember, your support for this program means a lot. Thanks again, folks, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.